Hello and welcome to episode number 99 of Owls AmeriCast. That's right, we're one episode away from 100 and we are still in the middle of the table in the championship. Today on the line we have myself, Evan, hosting in place of Jeff who is a new father if you haven't listened to the last podcast. So congratulations to Jeff, but also on the line we have James in what is it Vermont, right, James? It is. Yeah, I'm still in the woods. Right. And what are you drinking tonight? Uh, well, in deference to Vermont, I'm uh, I'm drinking a heady topper. So you know, if you can't uh, if you can't go to Vermont and not drink heady topper by Alchemist, then you're missing out. So I have a, a freshly open can, which I'll get progressively uh, more slurry as we go along because it's an eight eight percent IPA. Off we go. Also on the line in New Jersey, it's Patty. Patty, what are you drinking and what are you eating tonight? Um, I just I'm munching on some Tate's coconut cookies, which are the, if you haven't had Tate's in England, don't know if you can get them or not. Uh, they're amazing. Tate's Bake Shop. Um, and I'm drinking a New Jersey brewery called Carton Brewing, which are fantastic. They're in the Atlantic Highlands, just north of Jersey Shore. And I'm drinking a session IPA, which is called Boat, and it's very nice. It's uh, the opposite of uh, James' IPA. It's 12.2%, uh, very low IVUs, very drinkable. Where I found the Heady Topper to be too bitter and too dry for my tastes. I could do with put some lemonade in it. <laughs> it is a it is a hop cocktail. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I would generally tell you what I'm drinking but uh, last week the cops showed up at my door and questioned my drink of choice last week and confiscated <laughs> my my supply of coke and tea so uh, I'm going to keep my drink of choice to myself today we've got a packed agenda for you uh, just hardlining heroin <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so this week we will talk West Brom and Swansea reviews We'll get to some Wednesday news. We'll preview Preston, preview QPR. And we have a special guest. It's a QPR NYC member, Dunstan Bentley. Great chat with him. And we'll get to some other news. So we'll get right to it. And I think, fellas, we can group West Brom and Swansea together. Pretty similar matches. If you missed them, 3-0 loss to West Brom, 2-1 loss to Swansea. Might as well have been 2-0. Um if it weren't for Atti Nuhu in typical Atti fashion, scoring in the 90, I think it was the 94th minute or 95th minute. I admittedly on Sunday missed the match for the most part. Uh, so I, my alarm went off at 6.45 a.m. for the 7 a.m. match. In fact, it was Rachel's alarm that went off. She woke me up. I opened my phone to ESPN, set it on the nightstand, probably saw the first five minutes and then fell asleep. And woke up maybe in the 20th, 25th minute. Uh, I was kind of watching, you know, as much as I could. And then I I fell asleep again. Well, I had a dream that I was watching the match. And so in my dream, and this isn't a joke, in my dream, we won the match 3-1. to one. I saw the end of it. I remember it. Uh, I remember the end of it. Although it was funny because... Uh, Gary Hooper scored our third goal, uh, so that should have been a, a sign there. But 
so when I woke up, I was sure the match was over. I'm not kidding you. I, I was sure it was over. And I looked at my phone, and it was 2-0 to zero in the 88th minute. I was so confused as to what was happening. Um, and Rachel wasn't even in bed. Like, it was just a really, really strange morning. Uh, but, you know, the result is probably to be expected. So I guess what we'll do is, is we'll lump our, our talking points together here. Um, Patty, let's start with you. What has stood out from these last two dismal performances? Well, I would probably argue against that there were dismal performances. The dismal results, definitely. Say so the performances, I thought we played a, out of the two games, we played uh, three good halves of football. I thought the second half against West Brom, we weren't very good and we deserved to lose. West Brom took control of that match um, and really kind of showed their class in front of goal. Uh, the Swansea game I thought was different in the fact that I thought we were a better team over the 90 minutes. Uh, but um, we didn't really uh, put our chances away in the first half. Uh, what I want to talk about is, is kind of individual errors that are leading to these losses. Um, in the first game as West Brom, you can put the, um, the blame squarely on our old friend uh, Moses Adebayo uh, for um, giving a penalty away, his fourth of the season. Uh, which is a fantastic uh, start to have. Um, and he almost did it again towards the end of that game too, where he kind of like slips in the box as he's passing it back to Joe Wildsmith and falls over himself. But uh, Wildsmith manages to make a save from the oncoming attacker. He just doesn't instill um, confidence in me. Uh, thankfully, he was dropped for the uh, Swansea game. Um, but it doesn't prevent us from these individual errors. And in almost a similar kind of stupid foul, Reach gave another penalty away uh, for their um, for the for their goal, and uh, it just wasn't necessary at all. It wasn't even likely to be a very good connection with the striker. The the, the cross wasn't going directly to him, and just, it Reach decided to rubbish tackle him. It seemed lazy. It seemed erratic, and I feel like we we've got this in us now as well. We we focus for long periods of play, and we do look a little bit more solid than we were before the break, but there's still a couple of players in a couple of times in the match where we are completely wide open um, and someone's left left their marker and passed them uh, and it might be something to do with the formation it might be something to do with the, the players' attitudes uh, I don't think we can really know that unless we get some more kind of um, time watching them do in this formation but uh, either, either, either so it's, it's, it's definitely going to be hard to win games if we continue to make these errors and not take our chances up front Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have much to add to that. You know, I think, and James's talking point is going to be, I think, about the, uh, about the finishing, perhaps. But I, we we talked about it last week. The lack of depth we have at central defender is frightening at, at this point. Um, you know, we have a, a guy that you said he's given up five penalties this season, which or four, excuse me, four, which is is still a staggering number for for someone in his position but you know i guess that, what do you say burner burner is getting back to healthy looks looks like he'll be 100 percent soon tom lee's just not quite ready but might be ready so perhaps that that depth is coming back but are those guys really <laughs> are those guys really the answer to fixing our club uh i'm not too sure 
I'm just gently shaking my head, Evan, because uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for you to is, say something, but I don't the, know the if there's much that, to say. The answer to that is just a pretty straightforward no, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I, th- I think what it's it's hard to kind of get into all of the causal dynamics, but fundamentally, those both of those penalties in those two games come down to poor positioning by defenders. You know, they're they're players who aren't natural defenders trying to catch up and doing it clumsily. Like, Adebayo is not a defender. He He's probably a wing-back at best, right? Um, we've seen enough of that to say that he, he, he just scares the living daylights out of me whenever he's positioned as the last man um, or when he's behind a man. Um, and Adam Reach, I don't know what he was thinking against Swansea. I mean, he, he's a better player than, than that move. Whatever that move was, it was kind of... It was half-hearted. It it wasn't really a, a you know a player in their sound mind, um, and maybe there's a little bit of kind of you know he's not had a lot of game time. He's been kind of in, on the periphery of the first team since we've come back. Uh, maybe he's just rusty. Maybe we can give him an excuse. But if we're praying for Tom Lees to come back and save the day, we've got a problem. Yeah, I <laughs> I would agree. I suppose. Well, I guess we'll get to it. I guess what I want to say is I suppose this season is about about lost, right? It's about time to just move on. Not sure what FFP and what the penalty has in store for us, but at this point, I would just like the season to be over. <laughs> I just I, I I think it's time to just okay, standings look good. Let's just let's just call it quits. Um, but James, what about you? I mean, do you have anything to add? as far as what you've seen consistently in the last two or three matches, whether it be good or bad? It's, it's not so much consistency in the last two or three matches. It's consistency over the last two or three decades. But um, <laughs> I, I can apply it for the last two or three matches. Incidentally, you know, what you were saying, like, that you want the season to be over, this is like purgatory, isn't it? If uh, if anyone ever kind of, you know, started out in uh, in a sort of religious uh, setting, you'll understand the concept, which is just like the perpetual... Um, situation of, of things going wrong around you well that's that's basically being a Wednesday fan and this eternal season of regret that that's happening to us um but I was going to focus at the other end of the pitch which is you know what consistently happens to Wednesday is we create good chances we don't take them and then someone punishes us or we punish ourselves um hence my purgatory reference and actually against West Brom and against uh, Swansea the same pattern was there right you know we dominated possession in the first half, I think, against West Brom. Um, but when the chances fell, we didn't take them. You know, Kadeem Harris had a, had a good opportunity. In contrast, when they put a move together, they were clinical. You know, that, um, that I think is particularly their second goal. Is it Pereira who, uh, who kind of got on the end of that flowing move with a, just a deft header into the far corner? It's just, it, it's so simple when you see other teams do it, and yet we don't seem to do it ourselves. Um, Jacob Murphy against Swansea first half, um, you know, Da Cruz. You just want to see those players bury it first time. And yet we kind of, you know, we swing and miss, players aren't positioned right, that, you know, we take 12 chances to create one save from the keeper. It's it's a Wednesday problem. We we just, we aren't clinical. We don't have players who have that kind of finesse and, and poise about themselves to make one chance count. And in the championship, ultimately, that's what catches up with you. I've got a few more things I saw as well from like last. There's, there's definitely a lot of similarities in the last two games um, as far as individuals as well. So I think 
the corner taking, um, we've spoke on Twitter a few times, um, switching Banner off, Bannon off of the right-hand side corners has yielded much better than having Bannon on both corners. Um, uh, whoever's taking it on the right-hand side usually does better than Bannon. Uh, and it was really frustrating. Uh, it kind of boiled over on the end of the Swansea game on uh, Sunday morning when we, we were pushing for an equaliser and we had a Bannon corner on the left. <laughs> and the, the commentator goes... Well, we all know where this is going, assuming like in the in the mixer, whereas most Wednesday fans went, went no, it's going into the keeper's hands, and then we all watched it float into the keeper's hands, because um, it happens every single time. I don't know how uh, Bannon keeps that role as a corner taker or set piece taker as a whole. He's he's very good. I thought as a whole, uh, Bannon had a good game on Sunday against Swansea, uh, but his set pieces uh, leave a lot to be desired. So, uh, Paddy, we 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 have to talk about this because. <laughs> This is one of the great mysteries of Wednesday right now. Why is Bannon able to put a ball on a sixpence when we're in open play, and yet his corner-taking and his free-kick-taking is so predictably benign? So my theory is, uh, and I floated this in one of the WhatsApp groups, was that he's very good at slow, floated, deft passes. Very well-balanced, very well, very precise. That is not a good technique for corners. You need to have some pace and some whip on them to, uh, to have a good corner taker. He doesn't seem to have that in his arsenal. It's almost like he kind of he's he's a master at reading the movement of players, and when players are static, he he goes blind, right? Yeah, another um, good one. Yeah. You know, he he can kind of you know he can float a ball into somebody's path. He can pick a, a space, but when there's no space to play to, he really struggles. There's usually one of two outcomes that happens in those corners. It floats into the keeper's hands or it hits the first man with regularity. Anyway, these are just the frustrations of being a Wednesday, right? <laughs> I mean, this, this is not new post-COVID. It's not new for the Swansea and West Brom games. We've been saying this about Barry Bannon for about the past two to three seasons. And as I said, this is, this is why, you know, to an extent, we're, we're trying to do a match analysis, but it's kind of the same systemic, systemic problems, right? Individual errors at the back, don't finish our chances, and we've got quality <laughs> players who, when push comes to shove, don't deliver the quality. We're almost at episode 100. We haven't changed our, <laughs> our opinion. <laughs> we could have just press replay, right, on episode one. Why are you to listen to this podcast? It's the same every week. <laughs> yeah, if, um, so, so I was trying to think of a talking point. Um, you know, we basically have covered it, covered it all, but... Uh, one one thing that has me the most frustrated, and I suppose this is also something we talk about every three or four months, is uh, we've already got the rumbles of of Monk out, right? You see it all over, all over social media. It's it's. Uh, you guys tell me you've been you've been avid football fans for much longer than I have. Is this something that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life? <laughs> Every well, every three months, if there's a bad stretch, two two or three losses in a row, we're just ah well. I know how to fix it. Let's get rid of Gary Monk. Let's get. Rid of, is this something I'm going to have to deal with forever? It's your yes. answer. Yes. <laughs> this is Wednesday fandom, Evan. Like we um, we're very very easily displeased. Our basic response is just change one thing and hope for the best as opposed to change the system and realize that you might get different results. Look, shit in, shit out, right? Yeah. It's really straightforward. Wednesday is a club are broken. 
until you change the club and change the system, you won't get different results. And I'm going to give Gary Monk some credit. I've seen a different level of discipline, a different level of organization about Wednesday since the break. You know, the results have been mixed. The same errors are being made by individuals who are the same individuals who were here beforehand. But I have seen the evidence that he is trying to change a few things in terms of the way we play and the culture around the club and the dressing room. And those are the type of long-term fixes that you don't see instantaneous results from. So the idea that the change is Gary Monk is, is completely the wrong response. I'm not saying he is necessarily the man you would pick to rebuild a football club or that he would be the best manager available on the open market if every other manager was available. But he's the guy that we've got. He's doing his best. And quite frankly, Wednesday have got far bigger problems than changing a manager right now. I agree. I mean, I... Uh, I'm used to to the Browns, you know. We 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 uh, we change our our coach and quarterback every year. I'm used to. Um, yeah, well, the Cleveland Indians have had some 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 success and some consistency, um, but I, I guess I'm just I'm used to dismal sports team following dismal sports teams, and so uh, you know, you can change the manager all you want, like you said, James. I, I think you said it best. Uh, do you, well, okay. Let me ask you this: and you, do you think? Let's say, let's say we do shift some structure around um, in the off season, whatever that off season looks like, and maybe we hire a football director. We 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 shift the organization around. Do you think, based on his his past and his resume, Monk could be a guy that could stick around for for multiple years? I think it's a miracle that he's stayed around as long as he has so far, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, he, he, based on his resume, no. I mean, he, he chops and changes clubs all the time, which is why I think we've got to have some hope that he might want to stick around for a little bit longer. It, this is much bigger than Gary Monk. Yeah. What, Wednesday, what Wednesday desperately need is they need somebody to put their mark on this club and to change the way the club operates. So I don't hold out any hope that in whatever the close season is, we're going to hire a director of football. What I hope is that somebody has the support of Dayfon Chancery to change the playing squad, to change the way in which we train, to change the way in which we prepare for games, and to change the attitude across the organization. And if someone has that opportunity and they're the right person, they will make an impact. I don't know if Gary Monk is that person, but he's the person in the position right now, and I've you know, I've not seen any evidence to say he shouldn't be given the opportunity. What I've seen is a lot of players who definitely need to be changed out in order to start the process again. Sure. Okay. Well, that wraps up that um, that great section of optimism, and we will move into a quick break, and we'll we'll go into uh, some Wednesday. <laughs> Welcome back as we get into some Wednesday news. First is good news. Loans have been extended on all loanees, which I think we all, for the most part, pretty much expected. Um, I'm happy to see that. I think most of the loanees have, have been bright spots. Uh, you guys have anything? I mean, are, are there any loanees that you didn't expect to come back that did? 
I mean, I didn't expect any of them to come back, so I'm kind of happy they did. Really? <laughs> I mean, without them, um, we were fucked. Um, so I'm glad that they all came back, uh, even just for squad depth or anything else. I mean, what I will call out one of them, um, and that's someone that I gave a bit, a bit of stick about in his first few appearances. That's De Cruz. I think De Cruz has been a little bit better the last um, since since lockdown. He's been stronger. He seems a little bit uh, faster to react to things. Uh, he's actually been a, quite a good option off the bench. Uh, the others, I think Wickham's come back better as well. Um, Murphy's been one of our best players all season, if not particularly great in the last two games. Uh, so yeah, I'm, we, without them, we would be up shit creek. So I'm very happy they've all extended. <laughs> and then, on the other hand, Fletcher, Fox, Fessy, Hutch, Winall, they've all officially left the club. And we haven't really heard from them, Patty. Yes, I put this in here. I know we said last time when we met the podcast, obviously these guys are not renewed their contract, therefore they will be leaving. But obviously that time has now passed. Um, on the 30th of June was their last day. And I find it really strange how there's almost been a media silence. Like uh, Hutchinson had a, a interview with uh, uh, someone on BBC, which was, um, wasn't too revealing. Uh, he mentioned that his face didn't fit in with the Monk uh, squad, uh, but he had no ill feelings towards him. Um, there was no emotional goodbye that I saw from him on, on social media. Uh, the only one that gave really a goodbye was Forrest Yeri on Instagram uh, and actually on all his um, social media platforms. Nothing from Stephen Fletcher, nothing from Morgan Fox, not even a, a, an article in the official website. Uh, of Sam Winnell, I mean, I wouldn't expect much of him anyway, but it just seems it seems strange, and I think it hints at something darker in the midst of the uh, club. Yeah, I mean, these are adjusted times, right? I mean, um, a lot of people are leaving places without having a chance to say goodbye at the moment. Um, that's In fact, that's a much darker comment than I intended it to sound like. Um but it's definitely true to say that you would kind of expect that there would at least be, okay, thanks for the good times. I mean, Stephen Fletcher, like, you know, as far as I know, there's not been any controversy around, around him. He's been pretty much loved and liked by the fans, you know, in equal measure. No no real hatred, apart from maybe for the hairline. He's had some pivotal moments on Wednesday, scored some great goals. So, you know, you'd have thought he could have kind of said, you know, goodbye and thanks for all the chips. Um but but not so. But then maybe he's not the most kind of active member of the social media crew. I don't know. Um, Hooks, I think, I mean, he said he gave an interview. I think he spent more time complaining about the fact that he hadn't been paid in full, as far as I could tell, and, uh, and, and complaining there. So, so maybe that, maybe there's something there. And then Fessy just laid out all his shirts. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of with you, Paddy. There's, there's something kind of, um, there's just something fundamentally sad about the way that people are kind of going without, without really feeling any deep emotional connection to the club. It, people are talking about it as the end of the passing of an era, but I kind of feel like it's, it's drawing a line in a healthy way because if, if we can separate without emotion, then it probably tells you that ultimately it's time to break, right? And there's been nothing... I mean, conversely, there's been nothing on the website from the club other than that these players did not <clears throat> sign a new contract. There's been nothing saying... Goodbye. Thanks for your service. Well, hold on. Do we want to talk about Sheffield Wednesday social media slash communication slash <laughs> kind of, you know, the depth of content that we produce? I mean, that's a different conversation in terms of, of, of how we could probably 
significantly progress our own side of the bargain. But yeah, it's bizarre. It's 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 all bizarre. Yeah, like you said earlier, it doesn't it doesn't doesn't point to a well-run company. Yeah, but I'm I'm with James as well, and I think we've seen this in the last you know few seasons. Things have just gotten stale, and it, Fletcher was still producing, of course, and Fox w- was getting better. Uh, Hutch was in and out, Fessy was in and out. When all was maybe milking an injury, I don't know. Um, but if they weren't feeling a connection to the club, and we need to change the attitude of the club, then you know, f- fine, take off. You know, if there's no. We don't need to fake it. We don't need to fake love. You know, if, if the club didn't feel like uh, like those players were invested and, and vice versa, fine. So so be it. Um, I guess I don't need a, a social media post to make to make myself feel better about some of those guys leaving. Um, but um, elsewhere, we still have nothing back from the EFL. We've got rumors. Uh, in fact, we've got rumors on both sides. We have won, and we have lost. Do you guys have any <laughs> any indication of what's actually going on? Uh, well, last week uh, we had the rumor, again, these old Twitter rumors, we have no ITK knowledge here, um, that we would be getting a nine-point deduction on Monday. That was last Monday. That didn't come to fruition. Then almost the exact same time the week after, the rumor going to Twitter was that we'd won the case and there'd be no points deduction. I feel like it might be the the same person (laughs) just (laughs) talking with us. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we don't know anything. I mean, I really, really hope it's resolved in the next few days. It'd likely get resolved as soon as we put this podcast out, if I'm honest with you. Um, So we'll see. Well, It'd be very Wednesday to put out like a midnight statement elongated <laughs> from Dave von Chancellor. But, but here's the thing, Evan, right? I mean, the, the one thing you probably can take is the fact that, that that arbitration case was meant to be over in a matter of days. Now, either it was over in a matter of days and then both parties were sworn to complete silence over the outcome, which seems unlikely, or it was completed and then one party challenged the outcome legally. I have have to assume it's more the latter than the former, which points to things being dragged out. I know everybody wants this to be resolved. Uh, for goodness sake, I mean, it should be resolved, right? I mean, it's a, you draw everything back. This is a fucking competition that can't get its rules right. It's not much, nothing much more complicated than, you know, a referee that can't say whether or not you've been sent off. Um, but put all that to one side because of the legal complications. It, the longer this drags on, less likely we are to get a clean and simple outcome. Speaking of court cases, Wednesday have won a court case, Patty. <laughs> God, uh, this set some heart races uh, this afternoon, didn't it? Uh, Dom Housen tweeted out uh, that Wednesday have won the court case, dot, 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 over the we are all Wednesday, aren't we, kind of wah-wah, um, Trademark. So uh, I don't know if you know this case, but um, a fan uh, in the executive boxes uh, trademarked <laughs> "We're All Wednesday, Aren't We?" Uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I assume as a kind of get-rich-quick scheme, <laughs> he came up with one afternoon. Um, 
But uh, yeah, they've won that court case, and the, he can no longer hold that trademark, I believe, uh, as they have evidence that they were using it way ahead of him. <laughs> so um, be careful how you use the W A W A W. Doesn't our Paul have a tattoo of that? <laughs> He's now owned by Day Punch and Siri. <laughs> so let's move on into our match preview section. We'll start with Preston. North End. Do you guys have any indication on how Preston North End has fared this season so far? Well, they were pushing for playoffs, weren't they, before um, before lockdown struck, and I think they've um, tailed off a little bit from what I've I've catched uh, in the uh, results and stuff. Uh, they, they, again, they're a solid team, and we don't tend to um, play that well against them. They're always a very tough opposition, um, so I'm not particularly confident in this one, but it does seem like we're catching them at the right time. Uh, Evan's looking at the stats now, so he might prove me wrong that we uh, that my, my assumption is not right. But I feel like um, it might be a good time to play them. Uh, it might be. There are, there are two things that stand out against Preston in recent memory. Um, so it's striking that even Sheffield Wednesday football correspondents who are paid to cover Wednesday have come up to come to the conclusion that the best way to counter Preston is to play Adi Newhu because he tends to score against them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not sure that's a scientific logic from Dom Housen, but I give him a nod for the uh, the pattern of uh, of Adi's profligacy. Um, the other one on the counter is the last time we played Preston, one Moses Odebajo uh, conceded an absolutely ridiculous penalty against them. So um, put those two things together and you've probably got a score draw at Hillsborough, right? Yeah, so so Preston have not been well lately, and, and this is a good time to play them. So the, the last match before the break, uh, actually, I suppose two matches before the break, uh, two losses. They lost 2-0 to Fulham, 3-1 to QPR. And since the break, they've won 0, lost 2, drawn 2, uh, 1-1 to Luton. 3-1 lost to Cardiff, 1-0 to Derby, and Derby, pardon, and uh, 0-0 against Huddersfield. So um, not doing so well currently. They're, they're sitting at 11th in the table with 58 points. Of course, we're at 15th with 52 points. I mean, if you really want to know some of their statistics, Daniel Johnson, 12 goals. He's, a, he's Jamaican, I believe, Daniel Johnson. Um, Tom Bur- Barkhausen, Burkhausen, he's got nine goals, five assists, pretty solid player. Paul Gallagher, six goals. Uh, and just, yeah, I mean, everyone else just kind of contributing here and there. So uh, I don't have much to say about that. I think we're two teams that are struggling, uh, two middle-of-the-table squads. It could be could go either way 1-1 one, 2-2 one, two, two. I think a draw is probably best uh the best bet there one thing I will say is that when we looked at this end of season schedule at the beginning of the season uh it, it looks kind of formidable right it looked like a really tough end to the season because we had like teams like Preston who are usually up there with um Huddersfield um obviously we've just played West Brom and we've played Forest and Swansea uh other than West Brom, they've all kind of flat, uh, like flattered to deceive kind of things. So, and looking forward, Huddersfield aren't the team that we thought they might be at the beginning of the season. They're in a relegation scrap. Um, Middlesbrough, 
aren't in a relegation scrap too, not very good either. Um, so QPR, mid-table, they're all winnable matches other than necessarily Fulham, who we play uh, second to last of the season. Um, so I, I'm not too worried about this, 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 um, these last few games anymore. What I'm worried about is the, the points deduction, of course. But I feel like if it was in our hands, we couldn't get enough to stay up. It's not, not that much of a worry. <laughs> That's the most optimistic note we've struck in the conversation, Paddy. I, I do if try. it was in our hands, we'd just about have enough to stay up. That's a little bit like the mate who goes, you know what, I think I've got enough bus fare to get home. <laughs> Scrape coppers together. So we press the field. We should be getting fucking nine points out of those. Let's do it. <laughs> and now we move into a special segment, QPR chat with Dunstan Bentley. Dunstan. Thanks so much for joining us. So tell me who you are, where you're from, and why you're in New York City. So uh, thank you, Evan. Thank you, Patrick. Um, I am Dunstan Bentley. I'm uh, a long-suffering Queen's Park Rangers supporter. Um, Twenty, About 21 years a season ticket holder. Uh, until I met the love of my life and American woman who spirited me away from the upper loft and brought me to New York City. Um, so we met in the football factory as part of uh, the Championship Corner uh, Brigade. Uh, so tell us a little about QPR New York. So you've got a loyal following, just like we have a Wednesday. Um, that's why we're kind of uh, com- constantly uh, commiserating with each other at the end of uh, Saturday morning. Uh, indeed, indeed. I, I, re- I remember that FA Cup game rather well. It was what Friday? <laughs> was it a Friday? And it was just the two of us there. And <laughs> and. And, and there, we were social distancing between the groups. There was no intermingling. <laughs> we, we were pioneers on that front. Not for any COVID reasons, just don't like each other that much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pass. So um, how many yeah, how many people normally come to a, a QPR gathering in New York City? Well, it, it, it kind of varies. Um, so the thing with QPR New York City, we, we've got sort of probably about five to six of us who actually live in the five boroughs. And then we've got quite a few who live in New Jersey. Uh, We've got some upstate, Connecticut. We're kind of um, a bit disparate on that front. So, so every now and again, we'll get one. And I, and I've, I've, I've done that myself where it's like, I've turned up and, and like normally we'll have a a group photo in front of the flag and it's me looking rather sad with like (laughs) half a Guinness taking a selfie, you know? Um, but normally I would say probably five, like Tom and Sam, obviously, um, sort of we're all of that age where kids are starting to become a bit of an issue. So, you know, getting permission to come out, I'm not one, uh, to be fair. So I'm, I'm flexible on that front. Uh, but Sam's just had his second, so he he unfortunately can't can't be there as much. But I would say probably what three to four on most match days when we have a special guest. So we've had Don Shanks come down, we've had Kevin Gallon, um, like sort of some some former players turn up. All of a sudden, there's like twenty of us. It's like the playoff <laughs> final where we get fourteen thousand every game. Next thing you know, we've filled out half of Wembley, and it's like. Where are you come from? You know, so it's a it's a it's a, it's a rather smaller yet similar type of vibe there. Those special guests are awesome. So, so you, you, I remember being there when Kevin Gallon was there, like a mini kind of celebrity in the football factory. It, it was and, amazing because we we had Kevin, we had former player Paul Bruce, a couple of mates, Doogie Friedman, 
also turned up but didn't join us because I don't think he likes QPR after we binned him off. <laughs> so he, he was like loitering watching a German game behind the QPR flag. But the other thing we had was um, Kevin's brother Steve was there, which was great because we also have a guy called Steve Gallon who's one of our group. So it was kind of like that Spider-Man meme where they're both pointing at each other. So <laughs> Only two Steve Gallons. Yeah, indeed, that was indeed the chart padding. Do the um, do the ex-players go on it with you too? Do they have a few beers? Are they kind of remain professional? Um, well, Don Shanks, I wasn't there for. But he was running the mar- uh, the New York Marathon. Okay. So I, I don't think he was getting on it. Good excuse. It's a good excuse. Uh, Kevin, I believe, is he's a scout for Palace. He's their German scout, and Palace were playing the early game, so I could safely say he was definitely on it. <laughs> we, at, at, at the end of the game we asked them to sign a picture to put up in the factory I, I have literally no idea what that says and I don't think <laughs> neither does Kevin it, it was it was as if he used a pen for the first time <laughs> so so QPR having a shockingly similar season to Sheffield Wednesday both with 53 points pardon me QPR 53 points Wednesday 52 uh, both with a minus six goal differential, uh, it just seems very similar. What what were you all expecting going into the season, and, and how have you performed uh, against those expectations? It, it, it's interesting, like, because it's a good question. Because I, I think as a fan base, we don't. I think we've got we've got the younger elements of the fan base that remember the Premier League as you know as recent history because it was. And I think they believe they look at teams like Brentford who have like up and coming and they think we should be where Brent, Brentford are. Now, the difference between Brentford and QPR is that Brentford are a massively well-run club, <laughs> whereas QPR have been a basket case. And anyone that has ever watched the four year plan and if you think Sunderland Till I Die was fun, go, it's on Amazon Prime. Go check it out, because that was the, the, the four years under Briatore where Briatore was trying to manage off, off, you know, from the stands. He, Gareth Ainsworth, apparently, who was, um, uh, he was always, uh, what's it called, caretaker manager. Um, we, when we played United um, in the League Cup, apparently had, in the region of 40 missed calls with Briatore trying to tell him which player to sub off. So, <laughs> I mean, the, the, from everything from guns in the boardroom to Briatore trying to manage the team to having different three managers a season. It, it was just insane. So so uh, I, I think the problem we have as a club is that we are, I, I guess we're like Icarus. When we got to the Premier League, we, rather than being Burnley and doing it sensibly, we were like, we have a, a, a very excited owner who threw a load of money at it. But what he threw money at was wages on players you couldn't shift, which meant, Sean Wright Phillips was on a five-year contract, sat on the bench for about four and a half years of it. So, you know, we and, and then obviously no one's taking that off your hands. So basically the last three to four years, we've been managing a wage bill and managing these players. We're waiting for their contracts to run out. So it's been ever, like the budget has been ever decreasing. Um, and no doubt we'll talk about this an FFP has been a reason for that because we have to live within our means. So a roundabout way of explaining at the start of the season, we had 16 players leave the club and 16 come in. 
So when you talk about the expectations, I think most most of the older fan base are like pretty pragmatic. We've been to League One. We've lost to Vauxhall Motors. We've been there. We've seen it. We've you know bought the T-shirt, and that T-shirt has disappoint, disappointingly shrank in the wash. So you know, it, ultimately, we. Into, I mean, I at the start of the season thought nineteenth would be you know survive. I think that that's the key thing for us is to survive. And I, I, I guess like you, we've been quite streaky. We've had runs where we've like six, seven games, nothing out of it. And then next thing you know, we've ended up going on a massive run, another five, another six, another seven games on, on a winning streak. So it, it's been really difficult to kind of gauge who we are. We're quite a schizophrenic team. And I think what one of the things that, that we're trying to do, actually, and this is the reason I brought Brentford up, is that we're trying to be, we're trying to do what Brentford have done, which is, less reliance on the transfer market to buy players, but to bring players up to then sell them on and replace them, sell on, replace. And as a result of that, free transfers, the, you know, it's been quite, you know, cover's been pretty bare. We've had like Mark Pugh, who's not really been a starter. He's now left the club because we can't, if he played one more game, he would, he would have had to have had a, a, another year on his contract. So in terms of like all of our decisions has been based on managing the budget. So I think from where we are now, um, so if we were if we were going to play you um, pre-COVID, I would have been really confident because we've got a very young team, the likes of Ilias Chair, obviously um, a Barry Eze, he's got a lot of hype this year. Bright Osse Samuel has just come on leaps and bounds. Uh, it feels like that momentum's ground to a halt. So we started off post-COVID with Barnsley, Charlton, lost both of them. Bright and Ezzy, they're playing like they're ready to go. They've mentally checked out. So as a result of that, I think, you know, mid-table would be great. I think lower mid-table is more realistic. I think for the last four years in a row, we've been 16th. That is where that is where I... And, and, and different squads, different budgets, but we've always seemed to be 16th. So... I again, long way around um, answering that, but I think so. You know, we'd, we'd take 16. Okay, so you're kind of overperforming from what you expected in the season. So I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think so. so. I I always feel like that the FFP, um, and we'll talk about that in more detail in a second, uh, puts clubs in a cycle, and we spoke about cycles before, and it's because that they do this kind of three-year rolling kind of like financial thing of being within your means. So I think it's 39 million, which is ours, our kind of kind of level we have to stay underneath every three rolling years. But once you reach that ceiling, you come to a, a level where you have to sell players and start again, pretty much. So we invested in the team four years ago, three or four years ago, and got to the playoff final, and then we got to the semi-finals after that. The last two years has been a, a severe decline in performances as those players uh, don't perform as well as they have done. We've changed managers and so on and so forth. We're now at the stage, I think, where you were last year, where those players are now coming to the end of their contracts from that initial spending spree. And we now have a, have a clear out on our hands. So you said you got rid of 16 people and 60 people came in. That's what I see happening at Wednesday this season. And five of them are already gone because it's the end of June yeah. last week and they didn't renew their contract. So we lost um, Fletcher, Forestieri, Morgan Fox, three of our well, three first team starters, really. And then Hutchinson, who's also a very good player, and uh, Sam Winall. All been very good in the past in the championship. 
so we we are thinking now a year behind you guys in that cycle. So, and Forest, I think a year like ahead of us, and have mm. done it really well because Forest were in the same situation as as you were and as we were uh, of the last few years and been mid table for a long time, and they've done it really well and bought really well and got a good manager in and now doing really well. I I think we we can see if we if we buy well, uh, both of our teams. We can see us getting back up there. I, I still think we're two or three years away Wednesday from building a good team again. Uh, it sounds like you guys, if you can keep hold of or at least get some money for those those starlets right. that you found, that you, you like I say at least you've got that. Has the, has the owner said? Excuse me, you mentioned the Brentford model here. Uh, has the owner said that that's the model you're trying to copy, or is it just something you tried to suss out yourselves? Do you think it's it's kind of it's not so much the owner. And, and the good thing about the owner is that he. So our owner is Tony Fernandez. He's the um, the chairman of AirAsia, and being the chairman of a an airline, he's got bigger fish to fry right now. You know, he's, <laughs> he, I mean, t- talk about you know sort of. You know, yeah, keep us the least of his worries. And I think, you know, what the the one thing that when he first turned up, we had um, a CEO called Philip Beard, who was the um, the CEO of the O2 Arena. He'd never had any football club experience, and he was clearly brought in for the new training grounds and the new stadium. None of which have actually happened. Although, actually, I think it was yesterday they've announced they've just exchanged contracts on land for the new training ground. Now, this is seven years ago, six, seven years ago, I think now. So from from a point of view, there's been a lot of money wasted, a lot of time wasted. And um, so so what we eventually did is we got a guy called Lee Hoos to come in, who was ex-Fulham, ex-Burnley, American guy who really um, he knows how to run a football club. He knows how to have the difficult questions and difficult conversations regarding the finances and as a result i think like um i saw the the numbers that came out um i think it was price of football that we we are now finally under a hundred percent of our turnover i think we are for 2019 we're 69 percent which is a, a miracle from <laughs> where we were so it's basically lee who's and les ferdinand are um Sir Les Ferdinand, God and uh, director of football. Who, Is that his um, full title? Yeah, it, it, Sir us, Les yes. Ferdinand, God, director of football. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they, they've, they've basically come out and said everyone's for sale. Um, they, they're, they're not even trying to hide it. Um, so, so as a result, I think, you know, in order to, you know, fa- fans would love to see Ezzy, Ryan Manning, Bright, Chair, Stay. Because we, we've got the nucleus of a team that, that can get us out of that division as long as, and again, as long as, you know, the rest of the squad sensibly managed, as long as you're, you know, you're buying in the right position, right areas. But it's, they, these guys are never going to stay. They, they're all premiership potential um, as long as they get that consistency in. So that's the problem. Like, you know, since they've come back, like Bright, Ezzy, Manning, they've all been average. And I think one of the things, the, 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 the big criticism of Mark Warburton is that he has no plan B. And that was the same at Forest. It was the same at Rangers. The last couple of games, I think what's interesting, and I think this has been a necessity, is that, like, as you said, you had five players go. We've had Mark Pugh, who was told to leave nicely, obviously. Um, and then uh, our captain, Grant Hall, basically turned around and said, I'm out. And it's like, that's a hole. That's a big hole in the defence. So what he decided to do, rather than have 
a back four, which is going to expose Barbe. He's gone three at the back, where we've actually got two <laughs> youngsters in, in um, uh, a guy called Connor Masterson, who was from Liverpool. Um, Champions League, Liverpool. He was one of the English kids on the bench that never saw the pitch, but you know, <laughs> we'll take that. Um, and then there was also um, Osman Kakai, who was a fullback who basically has been on loan ever since he got torn a new one against West Brom away last season, where we lost 7-1. The poor lad was shell-shocked. And he's come back the last couple of games. He looks a different player, and he looks really comfortable. He got man of the match last um, last game. So so in terms of like managing where we're at at the minute, and it's, you know, it, it I'm... Paddy, I'm over this season. I've got to say, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that the, it's shifting the back uh, three, uh, back far to a three. That's exactly what we had to do too. Right. The people leaving, we've we've um, had to go to a three at the back, and everyone was like, well, "Why is he doing this? This is crazy." We've got two centre halves, but we haven't got any fullbacks either because they're right. either, either injured or like loaned out or returning from loans or leaving. So we've had to adapt to what's left, and that's what it's good to see other clubs having to do that too. Uh, and I think we're going to have the battle of the three-five-two, but looks like on um, Saturday. Uh, so we touched on FFP earlier on, and I wanted to bring this in. I know we've been uh, talking a lot already. So uh, to summarise, how you've forty or something million pounds, wasn't it? You, got, you took yeah. a kind of a fine rather than a points deduction. And how long ago was that now? Um, I think, let me see, that would have been two, three years ago. So it had been go. So basically, when we went up via the playoffs, that was the season, and and it was Harry Redknapp in charge. So you can imagine the player turnover and the the, the size of squad we had. Um, So we'd gone up with this massive wage bill. And I think, had we had survived in the Premier, like Bournemouth and like Leicester, you're kind of untouchable. It's when you go back down, and, and I wonder what's going to happen with Bournemouth if they, if they go down this season, whether the EFL will slap them with potential FFP um, repercussions from when they got up. So so when we came down, it was like, and then on that three-year cycle, you know, obviously there's um, they account for the parachute payments, so on and so forth. But basically, we were arguing, and a bit like you guys in Derby and Birmingham, you're, you get the legal guys in, you argue the technicalities. And, you know, we we went to a hearing. There was a, a lot of back and forth thing. And I think what, what ended up happening was they sort of didn't admit culpability, but they settled out of court. Mm. And that settlement was, and again, it's like, you know, you, you kind of hear what you hear via the jungle drums and via Twitter and Facebook and everyone's in the know, right? As we all know. So um, I believe the figure is around 40 to 50, 50, sorry, 40 to 45 million. So now that apparently doesn't come out of the budget. That's like being covered off by the owners, and as as we were saying, one our, our poor owner is struggling at the moment. So, you know, we're only surviving. And I think in the championship, a lot of clubs are surviving because their owners are funding each and yeah. every month. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you kind of look at, you know, where we are at the moment and go, how long can they keep doing this for? 
you know, they you know they they don't they're they're wealthy, but they don't have a, a massive pot of money to basically just waste on a team that finishes sixteenth in the championship all year. That's not why they bought us. Yeah, you know. Do you think? So, uh, do you think they'll ever be allowed to? Do you think Yaron will ever invest back into the squad again, or even can you even do that if the Rebels ever have a fee? I don't. I, that's what I don't understand. Like, if, if say for example you had new owners and they and they wanted to invest um, a large amount of money into the club under FFP, I don't believe you can do that. I think what you, you know, as as you know, you can sell the stadium as a lot of clubs have done. I think, haven't you guys done that as well? So that's what we're in arbitration for. Yes, this is what we've right. got. But we we so the the uh, the grey area for us was it's not. It's a loophole to sell your state stadium to, to the owner, so you can do that. That's in the rules. But what we're being charged with is that we are trying to put it into a year's accounts after um, the year had passed. Ah. Uh, but the clue is saying we had the EFL's um, approval to do so, and they have <laughs> evidence to prove that. Um, so, yeah, that's what the argument is. They're saying, no, you don't. We're saying you have to do so well it's like with derby as well like derby they valued their stadium at 80 million and the independent well the independent inverted commas efl lot said it's only worth 50 so that's uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean christ it's like you know is it an auction what are they doing here they're gonna settle on 65 and call it quits but um but that's the thing i think you know what we have to do because, you know, um, our capacity is not huge. So under FFP, we have to cut our cloth according to the, the revenues that we bring in. This is why we're desperate for a new stadium, because there's no non-match day revenues. Because I don't know about you. If you, have you you've been to QBR. Oh, yeah. My knee is still right. super. Oh, uh, excellent. So, so <laughs> you will know exactly where the White City Estate is and why massive corporations aren't necessarily going to want to hold conferences and exhibitions at Loftus Road, right? It's not the best place to, to you know, for corporates. Likewise, the facilities aren't exactly amazing. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, I, I, I love that ground. Like, it, I, I can't see us ever playing anywhere else. I wouldn't want us to. But if we have to, if we need to grow, we need a bigger capacity. We need to get more fans into the stadium, and then what we have to do is to produce a team that is going to keep the fans there, that is going to get people excited about Rangers, that we can then do what Brentford are doing and start selling players who they bought for two, three million for fifteen, twenty. I mean, Benarama is going to go for what twenty? Like Mope went for twenty. Um, was it Conza at Villa went for about 15 I don't know how they do it but every single year they're selling yep. like they're selling off the, the only drawback with that is is no one really knows what the transfer market post-Covid is going to look like yeah yeah and there's more and more clubs in the same situation that we are with no money to spend right but then more. again, I, I think there's what, what will end up happening is that more players are going to leave on freeze. They're going to test the market. And I think the wages is, is going to be where the money is going to be spent going forward. So I, I, what I can see is there being quite a rich pool of talent, either maybe under 23s being released from bigger academies because they're trying to get their numbers down. Or there's just, you know, I, I think there's going to be quite a lot of movement. And I, I, and, and I think the interesting thing about the league we're in, guys, 
is that you were saying about the cycles of the three-year cycles of FFP. Well, if you throw into the mix teams that are coming up, like Sheffield United, that had no baggage from the Premier League days, that, that's that they literally like Preston as well, who have just managed to become seventh, eighth, or ninth most seasons. Again, no baggage. Brentford have done it that way. They came up, no baggage. It's teams that have come down from the Premier League who either, and there's another cycle, which will be they have to get up with by the time the parachute payments ends or they, you're running the risk of doing a Sunderland. Yeah. Or, you know, so so if you look at the, the, the 24 teams, you'd be hard pushed to kind of almost... You could almost like put them into little baskets. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I think QPR Sheffield Wednesday are very much in, in a very similar basket. Yeah. But we, I think we're, 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 we hit the checkout about a year before you, as you said. Yeah, good stuff here. Good stuff. Um, before we let you go, I want to know just a quick prediction from you on what, what you think is going to happen Saturday. I will probably oversleep and miss the game entirely. Um, um, I, do you know what? It's again. If if this was pre-COVID, I I would say at Loftus Road. Um, I I kind of would like Rangers. I think Rangers with you know maybe a two-one because that seems to be the the scoreline of the season with us. Like I think we beat you at two-one at Hillsborough. You beat us in the cup two-one. But I think with where we are at the moment, like we, the, the only player that scored like in the last four games is Jordan Hugill, who is who I love, but is one of the most frustrating footballers. I mean, he's got 15 goals, and I have no idea how. <laughs> like uh, he he has missed, he literally has missed a goal from two inches out and put it over the bar. <laughs> like it, it was, it's insane. And and the most Jordan Hugill thing to happen was the game against Borough where he gets into a one-on-one situation and basically treads on the ball. Brilliant. A minute later, he scores a 25-yard half volley. (laughs) And then, in the process of doing that, does his hamstring. So, again, long way round, but our our top scorer is unlikely to play on Saturday. So, yeah. He was very good against us. I was... uh, He was... I was very scared because he was uh, the kind of striker that does knock people around, right? He's a big oh, yeah. lump of a guy, and he, he looked scary to me when we played you. Well, you, you know what? Have you seen his uh, his hair post-lockdown? <laughs> oh, man. It, it, it's like Jay from the Inbetweeners has hit the gym. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, Christ, amazing. But um, I, I think that as a result of that, I think we're going to struggle for goals. So I, I, I can see it being Sheffield Wednesday, one, two, or three versus QPR nil. I, don't, I just don't, unless Ezzy and Bright decide that this is their time to shine, I, I think we're going to struggle. We usually give a few goes away, so don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, that, that's very kind of you. Uh, it, it all depends on whether the team you're playing decide they want to take you up on it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds, you, honestly, the, the things you said to us this, this uh, chat, we send not just the positions in the league are similar, everything else is similar to the FFP, yeah. the formations. The uh, struggles in front of goal. I mean, we 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 ran Swansea off the park on Sunday and lost two one. We gave West Brom a good four five minutes and lost three 0 It's um it's been frustrating since coming back off COVID. But we are playing better than we were January. Time. We were just terrible. Um, but yeah, well, um, Dunstan, thanks for joining us, man. Absolute um, pleasure. I can look forward to our football factory chats again once this COVID thing is over. 
Yeah, so uh, see, see you in a couple of years, mate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, good, good luck on Saturday. And uh, no doubt Paddy will be uh, sort of on, on the championship corner chat group, uh, sort of having bants, right? That's, that's yeah. what the kids say. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. All right. No worries. So that will do it for episode 99 of the Owls and Maricast, brought to you by Sheffield Wednesday's I Follow Live Match streaming service. Sign up at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. You can find us online at owlsamericas.com. You can email us at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at owlsamericas and Instagram at owlsamericas as well. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. Our podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There is no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume Owls AmeriCast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James... How many different beers do you have in the refrigerator right now? Uh, I'm going back to New York on Thursday, so I'm trying to work the beers down. Um, so at the moment, I've got a few sours left, but they're going to be disappearing tomorrow. Fair. Patty is on Twitter, but for some reason, he's cut off this read at the end he's at twitter wait, at wait, wait, wait. new york no my fucking owls. twitter handle new york owls job and also something about skinny jeans <laughs> and beards at patty a jones patty where will you be watching the match this weekend um a, a very small few of us might be meeting up in a, a park to watch on my laptop uh social distance of course so we'll, we'll see how that goes and then maybe it's a template for the future but maybe it, we're all going to shut down again the next week and who cares <laughs> so uh we'll, we'll see how it goes uh it's, it's a test and we were a little bit cautious about it obviously and uh we'll see how it goes there's a few of us i'm on twitter at jeff paternostro and this has been the Oz americast Thank <laughs> you.